Now batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new edition of the Cubs Corner. I'm your host, Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill. Coach's is located over at 6169 North, Northwest Highway on the north side of Chicago. They've got some great deals for the World Series games, for Bears games on Sunday, so make sure you get to Coach's. Happy Halloween. This is the 31st of October. We're approaching our 100th episode. We should be there at some point in 2023. But once again, thank you guys all for listening. As this is the last day of October, it's my last chance to talk about, you know, an issue that is very prominent throughout the years, no matter whether it's January, December, June, wherever. But it is focused on in October. This is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. This is the last day of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so I want to take a quick second to say that I do have a fundraising page. I'm trying to raise some money for this disease that affects so many different women and men. Um, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows at least somebody who's been affected by this um, very, very difficult disease. So fundraising page is through the National Breast Cancer Foundation. Um, the website is HTTPS fundraise.nbcf.org slash fundraiser slash 4210190. That's a fundraising page. We're trying to aim for $500 through the month of October. So if you listen to this and want to help out, please follow that link. It'll be posted on Twitter, Facebook, and the Cubs HQ website after this episode. So visit that link, and if you're feeling generous, donate, because a lot of people need our help for research, treatment, and and everything of the sort. But let's get right into it. This should be a really fun episode. We've got fan questions to answer, and we'll start with a, uh, a fun one. The high sock theory. It's something that Tony Andraki, who has been on this show multiple times, has um, been a big advocate for and is that wearing high socks make you run faster while there's no science to prove it it definitely looks cooler and I think because you don't see the baggy pants um, kind of flowing while you're running it makes it look like the legs are moving a little bit quicker there's a little bit more color involved which is always nice it's kind of like eye black where it really doesn't matter a ton but it looks cooler and if you think you play better with it you you might and it's one of those things look look good feel good play good Similar to what former Cubs manager Joan Madden used to say, if you think you look hot, wear it. So that's the the high socks theory. But another question, we'll get right into it because the World Series is currently on. Game three is today. Phillies hosting the Astros for the first time a World Series game in Philadelphia since 2009. So a World Series prediction for next year. Three teams most likely to win is the question. I think we could start right off the bat uh, with the Houston Astros, who look to maintain a lot of their key pieces. They they should have as good a chance as any to get back to the promised land next year. Um, the Yankees are an interesting su- uh, subject, and so are the Mets. But while I don't know whether or not you know Degrom is going to go back to New York, if Aaron Judge is going to go back to New York, um, I-, I can't pick either of those teams. I think the Dodgers have a really strong chance. They were arguably the best team in baseball from start to finish all season long. Got knocked out in the playoffs early. I think they'll be hungry next year. I would not be surprised to see them in October. And then I'll go with the Atlanta Braves. Um, it, it's it's not sexy. It's nothing like the Mariners or the Padres, who also might have really strong seasons next year. But you look at the Braves, they've got their core locked up for the next six, seven, eight, ten years with Austin Riley and Matt Olson, Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna Jr., Spencer Strider, Matt Harris, etc. Excuse me, Michael Harris, etc. 
they're in good shape to contend this year, next year, and years to come. So that's my answer for my three highest favorites for the World Series next season. Here's a question here. Aaron Judge to the Cubs. While it, I would say that's probably unlikely. He just set the record for most home runs in a single season by an American League player with 63 or excuse me, 62, topping Roger Maris' 61 from 1961. He's a 5-2 player. He's got a great arm, plays defense well, almost won the triple crown so he can hit, he can hit for power, and he can drive and runs. He is the absolute, probably the best hitter you can have on a team if you're trying to make the playoffs. And obviously that's something the Cubs are trying to do in 2023 and beyond, but Aaron Judge is going to cost a fortune. He might make $50 million a year. He might be the first $500 million player. It all depends on what he gets or what he's looking for in free agency. But the first team to take a crack at him is going to be the New York Yankees. And I think the New York Yankees are going to back up the truck and pay him whatever he wants to stay in New York. And if not, I think the team on the other side of that town, the New York Mets, are going to back up the truck because Steve Cohen, their owner, has no problem doing that. So I think those are the two most likely landing spots for Aaron Judge, the Yankees or the Mets. And then if if he doesn't go either of those places, I would guess the Dodgers would come up with some type of money to pay him. Those are kind of the three premier money-paying franchises if you're trying to get a big deal. Um, if the Cubs were to get Aaron Judge or a really good pitcher like Jacob deGrom, they would want to do high AAV for a low amount of years. That means the average annual value is high, but they won't be tied up for him for 10, 12, 8 years. So I think the Cubs, if they really wanted to do that, they would do something crazy like three years, $150 million. So he's making $50 million a year, which will be top of the market, but they only have to pay him for three years. If it works, great. If it doesn't, you only have three years tied to him. Whereas if you go eight years, $40 million, you're looking at $320 million tied up until 2030. I don't think the Cubs are in a place where they're going to be trying to do that. It's not on the same scale, but we saw that kind of burn them with Jason Hayward. So I think they're going to be a little bit more wise this time around when really backing up the boat for a player of that caliber. Next question is the free agent shortstops that are about to hit the market, Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, Dansby Swanson, and Xander Bogarts. Who will the Cubs be interested in? Are the Cubs major players in this market? Personally, I think they are. I think this is an area that they have to go and get if they want to be really good next year. Now you might be thinking, oh, Nico Horner's a great shortstop. Why wouldn't we just keep him? Here's why. You are going to keep him. You're probably going to extend him in the offseason. But what you're going to do, likely, is move Horner over to second base where he's already won a gold glove. Then you're going to take one of these shortstops, Correa, Turner, Swanson, or Bogarts, and put them at short. Why this is so important is because without this shift in 2023, middle infielders are going to cover a lot more range. They're not going to be put in the exact position where analytics tell them the ball is going to be hit because there's going to be too many holes on the diamond. So having a fast, rangy, athletic shortstop and second baseman is going to be so important next year. I think this is where the Cubs might miss Javi Baez a lot, because his range is second to none in the MLB. But you you throw a guy like Trey Turner, who's got some of the best speed in the league, or Carlos Correa, who's one of the best defensive shortstops over the last decade, or Dansby Swanson, who might win a gold glove at shortstop this year if it's not Nico Horner, and pair that with Horner at second base, and you're turning in one of the best middle infields in the league for a rotation that pitches a, a lot of ground balls for the first year without the shift. 
and I think that's going to be going to be huge for the Cubs moving forward. And Correa's 28, Turner's 30, Dansby Swanson is 29, and Xander Bogarts is 30. So in a few years, we'll be looking at these guys, and, and they might be a little bit older, might have to move them over to third. Well, that's fine because you still have Nico Horner, who's young and athletic and can play a gold glove caliber shortstop. And all the more, it just lengthens your lineup. It gets Nick Madrigal a chance to play some designated hitter to keep him healthy. Christopher Morrell can move around the diamond, second, third, center field. And Patrick Wisdom can kind of go back and forth from first base, third base, and catcher. I'd say most likely, based on the reports early on in the offseason, is, is Trey Turner. Um he would add a layer of speed to the Cubs lineup, but he really could only play shortstop or second. Um, but he's my favorite of the four. Uh, Carlos Correa was a big rumor last season, went to the Twins for a huge deal, opt out, so he's going to be a free agent again this year. He's a great hitter. He's probably the best pure hitter of the four, um, but I think he's also going to cost the most, and I'm not sure if the Cubs are going to be fully able to pay as much as Correa wants. Dansby Swanson's interesting. I think he's the one of the better defenders, but he's probably the worst hitter of the four. Um, but he's also likely going to get a big offer from Atlanta to stay in his home state of Georgia. So I'm not sure if anybody really thinks Dansby's going to be a free agent. And finally, Xander Bogarts. He's a guy that Jed Hoyer's familiar with from his time in Boston. Um, he's quietly, he's the most underrated in this group. He's quietly putting up 25 homers and 100 RBIs and a 300 average year in and year out. He's the type of bat that the Cubs kind of wanted their lineup to shift toward. High contact, low strikeouts, manufacture runs. That's what Bogarts does, but he's the worst defensive shortstop of the four. So likely if you got Bogarts, eventually he would move to third or second and Horner would slot as the long-term shortstop. But I do think the Cubs are players on all of these these names, and I do think eventually this offseason, maybe around Christmas, maybe after, it could be a nice Christmas present to get one of these shortstops locked up on your team. And in the future, this is going to make for a very athletic middle infield that's going to turn in a lot of web gems and make a lot of pitchers a lot happier. The next question is here is, do you think David Ross will be fired during the offseason? Absolutely not. I think, first of all, if he was going to be, he would have by now because most teams are already close to hiring their new managers, not getting rid of their old ones. But the thing about David Ross is in his first season with a full roster, with Bryant, with Rizzo, with Baez, even though they had bad years in 2020 navigating a pandemic, the Cubs finished as the only team in the league not to have anybody test positive for COVID, and they won the National League Central. Then you head into 2021, and the Cubs are in first place all the way until June, and then a 10-game losing streak. They gut the team, and they haven't recovered since in terms of the roster. But the Cubs are looking in the right direction. Ross is a big reason why. He figured out a lot about that bullpen, who could be starters, who could be relievers, and are they high-leverage relievers? Are they long relievers? A lot of times people wondered, what's David Ross doing? Why is so-and-so pitching in the sixth? Why is so-and-so getting taken out early? Well, because when you have a roster of total question marks, you need to see who can excel in each scenario. Once you know that, then you can kind of piece your roster together for the next year, decide who you want to keep, who you might not want to keep, and from that point on, you can build toward the future. I think David Ross has done a really, really good job. Already has a division title and arguably the best, excuse me, the hardest season to ever manage in baseball history. 
Um, and you have a second half of the season where the Cubs were above 500 here, building toward the future. The team plays hard for David Ross. He's a well-respected leader in that locker room. I think Ross will be here to stay through the next Cubs championship contention window. The next question is, do you see the Cubs signing some veterans in the offseason to supplement some of these younger players? I do. I think we talked about a shortstop. I think they're going to have to go get an outfielder, whether that's uh, Brandon Nimmo, who the Cubs have already been rumored to be interested in from the Mets, or Michael Conforto, who was a Met last year, or somewhere else. I do think the Cubs are going to be in the, the market for veterans. Kind of a uh, Dexter Fowler type, someone to come in and set the tone in the outfield, maybe hit leadoff and just produce and play some pretty good defense while they kind of keep the spot warm for Brennan Davis and Pete Armstrong. And then I also think the Cubs will be active in the market looking for starting pitching. You know, a Marcus Stroman type who can come and slide into the rotation and immediately gets out. Jacob deGrom is going to be available likely, but I don't see the Cubs being huge players in that market. I think it's more the type of like Carlos Rodon, Noah Syndergaard, those type of pitchers, and then maybe making a trade or two to acquire some starting pitchers to supplement what you have with Hendricks, with Stroman, with Steele, with Thompson, and then your question marks, Alzali, Wesneski, Ben Brown, Adrian Sampson, um, those types of guys, Javier Hassad, and then all of a sudden you've got a rotation five, six, seven, eight deep, and then Keegan Thompson can maybe go close you some games, or Adbert Alzali can come out of the bullpen, or Kyle Hendricks can take, you know, a day of rest here or there. And all of a sudden this Cubs pitching staff looks pretty pretty strong heading into next season. So I think some veteran arms um, to go along with a shortstop, maybe a first baseman, um, and an outfielder is going to be mostly what they focus on this offseason. The next question is, would Jose Abreu or Anthony Rizzo be a better fit? Anthony Rizzo is rumored to be opting out of his deal with the Yankees, making him a free agent. Rizzo is coming off a very strong season in his first full season with the New York Yankees. He hit 32 homers and drove in 75 runs um, with a two twenty four batting average. We know his defense is stellar over at first base, and then you've got Jose Abreu, whose defense isn't quite there, and the power's not quite there, only 15 homers, but he still also drove in 75 runs, and he hit 304. Abreu bats righty, and he's 35. Rizzo, of course, bats lefty, and he's only 33. I think, obviously, the fit on the team, you need a veteran first baseman. You need somebody that can hit the ball, keep the line moving, and drive in runs. Both of them fit that very well. I think, obviously, the the hometown Cub narrative fit is Anthony Rizzo. Um, but I really do think both are going to be about the same type of player next year. You might be saying, well, Abreu hit 300 and Rizzo only hit 220. Yeah, well, Rizzo has that shift on him. That's gone next year. His average is going to skyrocket. He plays better defense. The only question mark is his injuries. The back is a thing that flared up for him a lot in the past. That doesn't really happen with Jose Abreu. So I think, obviously, Abreu's probably more likely because it kind of seems like the bridge has burned with Anthony Rizzo, with Baez, with Bryant, with Schwarber. Because they never got their money from Chicago. Why would they take it now, right? So I think Rizzo's probably, you know, it might be silly, but I think it's more likely that Rizzo goes to the Sox and Abreu goes to the Cubs than Abreu going back to the Sox or Rizzo going back to the Cubs. But I would not hate if the Cubs signed Jose Abreu. It would give them a middle-of-the-order bat who hits about 300 
always on base and drives in runs. And then you can kind of platoon him, let him play DH, maybe not first every day, get Matt Mervis some opportunities, Patrick Wisdom as well. So I think that's most likely Abreu over Rizzo. And the next question here, we just mentioned him, Matt Mervis, is about him. What is the club Cubs plan going to be with him? So Matt Mervis is 24 years old. He'll be 25 on opening day next year. He was drafted, or he was not drafted during the 2020 draft. But remember, that draft was only five rounds instead of what you saw this year a little bit longer, or before that, 40 rounds. So instead, Mervis goes undrafted. He looks at the Yankees and he looks at the Cubs. Those are the two teams interested in him. He thinks the Yankees, I'll never get a chance to play there because they're going to just buy whatever first baseman they want. The Cubs, I'll have a chance to follow Anthony Rizzo. What ends up happening, the Cubs trade Rizzo to the Yankees and the Yankees re-sign him. They bought their first baseman. The Cubs now have a hole at first base. Maybe Mervis can fix it. 2020, he played at Duke. 2021, across two teams, he hit nine homers, 44 RBI, and had a 209 batting average. In 2022, Mervis exploded onto the scene, hitting 36 homers, driving in 119 runs, and hitting 309, winning an organizational triple crown. Nobody in the organization had more homers, RBI, or a better batting average than Matt Mervis. So bring him up to the big leagues, right? Maybe not so fast. He's only had 259 at-bats at the AA level, only about 14 at the AAA level in 2021. In 2022, he had 209 at-bats in AAA only, 203 at AA, and only 100 at single A. So he's moving through the system very, very quickly. Similar to a Chris Bryant style, winning minor league player of the year in the organization and setting an organizational triple crown, but we don't know if it'll be sustainable. So like Bryant, and I assume they'll do the same with Mervis, is they'll give him an invitation to spring training. They'll let him hit against that big league pitching. And if they see the same caliber of success there, they'll bring him up to the big leagues and give him a shot at first base right away. If not, they'll let him hit in AAA a little bit more and see what kind of development they need out of Mervis before they know for sure if he's going to be their big league first baseman of the future. The next question is about Wilson Contreras. Is he going to be re-signed or will he go to the Cardinals? So as much as this pains me to say, and I think Cubs fans everywhere will hate to hear this as much as I hate to say it, I think it's more likely that Wilson Contreras goes to the Cardinals than he stays with the Cubs. Now, I didn't always think this. When they traded everybody at 2021's trade deadline, Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, everybody, except Contreras, I was like, oh, Okay, they're going to keep Contreras. They're going to extend him and make him the center of the next rebuild. His passion, his flair. He's a top three catcher in the sport. They're going to keep him around to anchor that pitching staff and be a big bat in that lineup for the next great Cubs team. Then the offseason went by, no extension. Spring training went by, no extension. Then I thought, man, just like Bryant, Baez, and Rizzo, they're going to have to trade Contreras at the trade deadline. The trade deadline gets close. Wilson Contreras leaves the game, waves to the fans, cries, embracing Ian Happ in the dugout. Then somehow on August 3rd, he's still a Cub. So then I'm thinking, oh, they are going to try to extend him. I don't think so. I don't think so. As much as I think he makes sense to be on this team as they build toward the future, the Cubs aren't trying to pay a 30-year-old catcher. And 
as much as I disagree, I think they wanted to trade him at the deadline. They wanted to ask a big price because he is one of the best p- catchers in the league. And when they didn't, when no team met their asking price, they said, okay, if what we're getting back isn't going to equal the qualifying offer pick we'll get when he goes to free agency, let's just let him walk. So the Cubs are going to get a pick at the end of the first round when Wilson Contreras signs with another team. And I guess they thought that who they'd get in the first round was better than any package they were offered via trade at the deadline. Does it make sense for Contreras to be re-signed? Of course it does. He's a right-handed power bat, one of the best at his position, and defensively, there aren't many better than him in the sport. Not to mention he's a known leader in that clubhouse and has a passion and and the fans love him. But I guess the Cubs just are not going to keep Wilson Contreras would be my guess. The next half of that to the Cardinals, that makes a lot of sense. The Cardinals are in a contend now mode. They're losing Albert Pujols and they're losing Yadier Molina. They're going to want somebody to work with that pitching staff and, and do close to what Yadier Molina did for the last 15, 20 years. And they're going to look for a catcher who also has a solid bat because they do have a lineup that intends to contend in 2023 with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and Lons Newtbar and Dylan Carlson, etc., Tyler O'Neill. So I think that would make some sense. Uh, the Mets are also probably going to be looking for a catcher. They seem to always be. So we'll keep an eye on it. But unfortunately, I think it's more likely Contreras ends up in Cardinal Red than he does in Cubby Blue in 2023, as much as I hate to admit it. Our final question here is about Ben Zobrist. Uh, what does it look like his future as an ambassador? I don't know entirely what he'll do with the organization. I think uh, he'll show up to some of the practices and kind of serve as like a coach, like an I've been here before type of thing, similar to what David Ross did before he was a part of the coaching staff. I also think he might be involved in some recruiting pitches toward free agents, telling them how awesome it is to play for Wrigley Field and the Cubs. And otherwise, I think he might just use his baseball expertise to help uh, in the scouting department, you know, type of uh, um, draft type conversations of what he's learned and seen over his career that could be a benefit to Jed Hoyer's staff as we move forward. But that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Corner. Thank you all so, so much for listening and for submitting your questions. I'd like to do one of these every couple of weeks here in the off season so we can answer all of your Cubs or baseball-related questions. Um, I'm pulling for the Phillies in the World Series, but I think the Astros are the better team, so it's going to be fun to watch. Once again, happy Halloween. This is the end of October, so I want to make another plug toward my fundraiser for breast cancer awareness this month through the National Breast Cancer Foundation, fundraise.nbcf.org slash fundraiser slash 4210190. That's the link to donate. It's fundraise.nbcf.org slash fundraiser slash 4210190. That link will be posted on Facebook, Twitter, and the Cubs HQ website. And as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill, and you can find this episode and past and future episodes on the Cubs HQ website, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. But for now, thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner. Happy Halloween.